it's pitch black dark i have this like flashlight that can barely see anything and i'm i'm about you know resigned to the fact that i'm gonna be camping camping out that night on this cliff face uh and so i'm just like spinning this flashlight left and right trying to figure out how to get off and all of a sudden i lock onto a pair of beady eyes just staring right back at me and it's too far away to tell what it is but i'm able to like size it up and i'm just like okay this is like knee to shin height so you know this could be anything from like a raccoon to a coyote uh, I do not want to find out though and so I immediately break into a cold sweat I'm like ripping off coats and jackets and toboggans and I'm just like I've got to find my way off of this cliff and welcome back to the podcast thank you so much for joining me here again today uh, if you've been following me on Instagram, you would know that over the past week I've been doing a week-long trip through Utah, um, and more specifically through Utah's Mighty Five National Parks there. Um, and if you've been watching my stories and things like that, you would also know that I tried to record a podcast last week on top of Angels Landing in Zion National Park. It was a little too windy. Uh, I listened back to some of it and I couldn't hear a thing. And so I just figured, you know what, I'll, I'll skip a week uh, and hopefully you didn't miss me too much. Um, so this past week was really awesome. Um, my first like real um, U.S. road trip I took was last summer. I'm going to be talking about, about that here in a couple weeks. Um, but this one was something that I had been planning on doing since that last trip. Um, I bought an America the Beautiful um, National Park Pass, which basically allows you to get into any national park for free, um, which I highly recommend doing if you're going to go to like three or more parks. It definitely pays for itself. Um, and Zion and Arches uh, National Park are two parks there in Utah that I had really wanted to go to, but I just couldn't logistically fit them into that trip last summer. And so um, this America the Beautiful Pass is a year-long pass, and so I wanted to try and fit those in sometime before it expired. Um, I had actually thought about doing it over Christmas break um, a couple months ago, but it just didn't work out. And so um, I actually got really great tickets um, to Vegas, uh, $36 round trip. And so I couldn't really pass that up, and Vegas is about two hours from Zion National Park. Um, and so, you know, when I saw those ticket prices, I was like, well, it's now or never. I got to do it. So um, I went ahead and booked that trip and it was a blast. I had a great time. Uh, a lot of the research I did said that you couldn't really, you know, visit these five national parks in a week. Like you needed like 10 days, two weeks. And I would like to rephrase that as to maybe you shouldn't, maybe it's not recommended, but you definitely can. And so um, today's podcast, I'm really going to be talking about how to do it in a week, um, what to do, what to see, uh, what you can fit into that time. Um, but I, I will say I definitely, you know, could have spent more time. Um, I was really just going nonstop, um, every moment. Um, I would, you know, hike in a park and I would finish hiking for the day. I'd get in the car and drive to the next park, you know, sleep for a few hours and then do it all over again. Um, so maybe not an ideal trip if you're really, you know, wanting to just rest and relax and enjoy nature and everything like that, but it's definitely doable. Um, and I had a great time. So I'm going to go ahead and get into it. Um, the, the mighty five national parks are Zion National Park, 
um, Arches National Park, Canyonlands National Park, um, Capitol Reef National Park, and then Bryce Canyon National Park. So I visited all five of those, um, and I actually um, visited Page, Arizona, and did some stuff there as well along the way. Um, and so I'm going to kind of break down each of these different stops. So uh, I landed in Vegas pretty late. I think it was around like 9, 8.30, 9 o'clock on a Sunday night. And I got a rental car and went ahead and drove out to Zion. It was about a two, two and a half hour drive. So I got there pretty late around midnight. And I had originally planned like I had picked out all of my different hikes and trails and sunset spots and sunrise spots. Um, and so... I had really planned on getting up every single morning for sunrise and doing all that and just spending all day in the park. So the first day, uh, I got up at like 4.30 in the morning, drove out to Zion, and I watched the sunrise at the Tower of the Virgin there. Uh, and it's really, it's like right behind the museum uh, when you first go into the park. So it's very easy access. Um, it is a stunning um, backdrop. And the sun comes up over the canyon behind you um, and slowly, you know, falls down upon um, that ridge in front of you. And it is pretty spectacular. Um, and I would definitely recommend, you know, setting up shop there if you're interested in something like that. Um, I was not totally blown away um, with the sun, the sunrise that day. And so from then on out, I was like, you know what, I'm on vacation. I'm not getting up at 430 anymore for this. Um, so that was actually the only sunrise I really went to go see. Um, but, you know, I, I had some great views, saw some great sunsets, which, you know, you're already awake for them. So might as well check those out. Um, but I did see the sunrise there at Zion and I spent all day in Zion. So I stayed until around 730 there and I had a couple hikes planned. I obviously wanted to do Angel's Landing, which is one of the craziest hikes in the United States, probably one of the most popular and well-known. Um, and so that hike starts out at what's called the grotto and it's up towards the top of the park. And so it was around 7:30, like I said, and so I went ahead and drove up there and all the parking was already, you know, already taken. And so I figured, you know, this is like a two, two and a half hour hike. So no one's really going to be giving up their parking spots anytime soon. So I went ahead and drove up to the very top of the park. Um, where the Narrows begins. The Narrows is, you know, neck and neck with Angel's Landing as the most popular hikes to do in Zion. Uh, it's really cool. It's uh, you you're actually hiking through or up a river, um, the river that cuts the canyon there. Uh, it's pretty cool. I decided not to do it on this trip simply because it's all snow melt and it was already pretty cold out. So I figured, you know, that probably would not be uh, the nicest hike to do. There were a ton of people up there. They had like rented, um, like wetsuits and things like that to keep them warm while they're hiking through the water. Um, but you know, I just decided not to do it. And on this trip, I'll definitely do it. If I was there like during the summer, if I ever go back during the summertime, definitely check that out. Um, but it's, I believe it's like an eight mile one way hike, but most people, you know, just hike about halfway and then turn around and come back. Um, so I went ahead, drove up there, checked that out, and Zion is actually sort of like a Y shape with the roads that goes through the park, um, and so the Narrows is on the left side of the Y, and so I went ahead and went back to the fork and went to the right side, and it's pretty cool um, how the park is 
very different depending on which side you're on. So on the left side, you're inside the canyon. Um, it's just gorgeous views everywhere. And then to the right side, you kind of get out of the canyon and there's like all these crazy, I think they're called like pinion pines. Um, they're, they do all the twisty weird stuff uh, and they're, they look really cool and they're, they're just growing straight out of the rock. Um, and so that's more of what's on the right side of the fork. And so it's really cool. There's the checkerboard mesa there. Um, and it's just really two distinct pieces or portions of this park. So I really enjoyed um, driving out that way. Um, actually, that night when I ended up leaving the park, I had to drive back that way and exit through that gate. Um, but I was, I was glad I was able to check it out in the daytime because there were some cool scenes there as well. So after a couple hours, um, kind of just driving around, because it takes about an hour to just drive around the park, uh, I went ahead and went back to the grotto, um, and I looped around for probably about 20 minutes and finally found some parking um, and then set up shop there. Uh, now, before I talk about my hikes, I will mention that from the middle of March until like October or November, you can only take shuttles into the park. Uh, you're not even allowed to like park inside the national park. You have to like park in the town or maybe at the visitor center is as high as you can park. Um, and then you have to buy a ticket for a shuttle that will take you to the different stops um, in the park. Now, I totally see why this is a thing. Zion National Park is one of the most popular parks in the United States. And so I can definitely see how it could get crazy busy. Now, um, it was already busy when I was there at the beginning of March, just last week. Um, so, you know, that I really appreciated this uh, last week when I was there was the last um, week where you could actually drive your car into the park. This um, past weekend was um, sort of the beginning of you're taking a shuttle, you know, all the way up until November, you can't drive your car into the park. I really enjoyed the flexibility of just being able to drive where I wanted to, even if I had to wait, you know, 15, 20 minutes to find a parking spot. Um, I just enjoyed that freedom there. Um, and I was looking at like a hiking website today where it kind of like looked at some of the different hikes and statistics and sort of reviews of the hikes and things like that. And people were already trying to like hawk tickets for the bus, for the shuttle bus. Um, and so I don't know if they're actually difficult to get. Um, and if, you know, people are just getting on there and, you know, selling these $1 tickets for like 10 or 20, um, to make a quick buck or, um, if these are people who just like bought too many tickets or something like that on accident, I'm not really sure, but just not having to deal with that hassle was super nice. So keep that in mind. If you're going to Zion, um, depending if you're going during peak season, you're probably going to have to get this shuttle. Um, and you will not be able to drive your car into the park. Um, you'll probably have to park in Springdale, which is the town right outside the park. And you'll have to pay for parking, um, unless you're staying in a hotel there. Uh, so anyways, back to the hike. I found, finally found a parking spot there in the grotto. And it was only about 1.30, and I had originally planned on hiking to Angel's Landing um, for sunset. So I went ahead, and there's another hike that begins there at the grotto called the Emerald Pools Hike. Uh, and so I went ahead and did that. I think it was maybe like maybe two, two and a half miles round trip. Um, and so it was a really nice hike. It took you deep into a crevice of the canyon, so you were in the shade. Uh, the pools were not too emeraldy. They were pretty muddy green colors, um, but it was nice to kind of get in the shade. Uh, and I kind of just hung out there, ate lunch, and you know, relaxed for a little bit. So I finally I hiked back. I kind of reloaded. I got some more water. I got some more snacks in my bag, and I took off on the Angels Landing hike. And 
This hike, I believe, is like five miles round trip. Um, the last half mile, so the last mile round trip, um, is actually on that spine of Angel's Landing. So the hardest part is you're starting at the bottom of the canyon and you're having to climb all the way to the top of the canyon. And so to get there, you have to trek along all these different switchbacks um, that basically is just like a staircase that takes you all the way up to the top of the canyon. And those are pretty intense, especially in the middle of the day. Um, they're all pretty much broadside straight into the sun. And so it's pretty hot um, and you just have to take your time on them. I mean, I was, you know, huffing and puffing, getting up to the top by the end of them. Um, and so just take your time. There's, I mean, this is one of the most popular trails in the park. And so, you know, there's all sorts of people doing this trek, um, in shape, out of shape, old, young, they were all doing it. Uh, and so, you know, just take your time and you can definitely make it up there as well. So once I got to the beginning of the actual um, scary part that takes you out onto Angel's Landing, it was only like 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and I, I was really planning on watching the actual sunset on Angel's Landing because I had heard, you know, there's not a lot of people who stay up there that late, and so it would be a little bit more peaceful and things like that. So I went ahead, and the beginning of Angel's Landing takes you up to um, Scout's Lookout or Scout's Peak or something like that. Um, and so then from there, you can either continue on the West Rim Trail, or you can do Angel's Landing. And so I went ahead and continued on with the West Rim, and I probably hiked another you know mile and a half one way, and then I had to come back. Um, and I really enjoyed doing that because... One, not a lot of people were doing it, so I got away from the crowds. Um, but two, it really gave me another perspective of Angel's Landing. If you're looking at Angel's Landing from the car park in the grotto, uh, I mean, it's this tall piece just jutting out of the canyon. Um, and it, it's impressive, but you really don't, you know, even when you're up at Scout's Lookout, you just see like this little hump and you're like, Oh, okay, that's not that bad. But when you actually start on the West Rim Trail and you see the you see Angel's Landing from above and from the side at the same time, you just see how narrow it actually is, how far out you're actually climbing on this little spine. And it's it's a really cool perspective if you're maybe if you're already done Angel's Landing, you might want to do it then. Um, but I would recommend if you're going to do Angel's Landing or have already done it, check out the West Rim Trail because it really gives you a different perspective and really just shows you how crazy of a hike that Angel's Landing actually is. So I, after about a mile and a half, uh, I turned around and headed back to that Scouts uh, lookout, um, and I began to do the Angel's Landing. So it's half a mile out um, and then half a mile back, and it is harrowing. I mean... You are, there's chains bolted into the rock, and there are some points where you're literally just like almost repelling. You're just grabbing the chains and pulling yourself up with only upper body strength. Um, it's pretty crazy. There are points along the way where it's like two foot wide, and so you're literally standing there, and like maybe six inches to your left, there's a 1200 foot drop, and then six inches to your right, there's a 1000 foot drop. And it's just you standing there holding a chain. And that's the only thing keeping you there alive. Um, it's pretty crazy. And literally the entire time I was hiking this trail, I was like, 
I feel like I shouldn't be allowed to be doing this right now. Like there should be some restrictions and there should have been a sign back there saying, do not cross this point. Like this is dangerous. Um, but then at the same time, I kind of think like, okay, like, you know, hundreds of people do this hike every day. There have been, I think like 12 people who have died over the past like 15 years. Um, but at the same time, I mean, people die doing normal stuff every single day. So, you know, if hundreds of people are doing this every single day, then, you know, hopefully I won't be that one who, you know, trips and falls off the ledge here. Um, so it was pretty crazy. And like I said, there were like gale force winds up at the top. I'm not sure if it's always like that because you're inside of a canyon. Um, but it was pretty terrifying just standing at the top and this huge gust of wind would like kind of knock you over and you're just like trying to make sure you're not falling the wrong direction. Um, but it was pretty crazy. Um, I definitely, the view was incredible up there. You can just see up and down both ways of the canyon. It's incredible. Um, and so, you know, if you're afraid of heights, definitely would not recommend this hike. Um, but it was amazing and I, it was a, a crazy experience. So definitely, uh, if you think you're up for it, check it out. Um, it's a great hike. Um, so I did not, I, I waited until the sun went down below the canyon. Um, and then I went ahead and started, um, off Angel's Landing there. I did not want to be up there after dark. Uh, going up was scary enough in the light. So I didn't want to come back with just a headlamp on. So I made it about halfway down, um, the trail back to the car park for the sunset. And so then I worked my way back the rest of the way in the dark. Uh, which wasn't too terrible. Uh, and then from there, I think it was probably around 7, 7.30 by the time I, back, I got back to the car. And then I headed out um, from there to Page, Arizona. Uh, I will mention when I was leaving, there were a ton of people set up for astrophotography, for like taking pictures of stars and things like that. Um, it's a pretty far out there remote place. Uh, and so there's actually some really cool viewing. It was also like the beginning of the Milky Way season. Uh, I really just heard about that like a week or so ago, um, but apparently this time of year is really a really good time to see the Milky Way. And I actually saw a few days later when I was at another park, someone had told me they had taken pictures um, of the Milky Way at Zion. They were like, oh, I was out there till three in the morning and they showed me their pictures and they were pretty sweet. Um, but I, I was definitely not dedicated enough to stay up till 3 a.m. Um, to take some grainy uh, Milky Way pictures with my um, iPhone. So from Zion, I went ahead and drove to Page, Arizona. It was about two, two and a half hour drive. Um, nothing terrible. And the reason I wanted to stay in Page uh, was twofold. Um, one, Lake Powell there is amazing uh, and it feeds into um, or right outside of Lake Powell or connected to Lake Powell is Antelope Canyon, uh, which is something that I'd wanted to do for a long time. Uh, and then also Horseshoe Bend is there in Page, Arizona as well. So I wanted to check that out too. Um, so I actually spent two nights there in Page. I got there late that night from Zion. And the next morning I got up fairly early around eight o'clock um, and headed to uh, Lake Powell. Um, and so all over the U.S. right now, because of COVID, um, most of the Indian reservations are shut down, totally closed, um, not allowing people in and out. Uh, and so Antelope Canyon, the two most popular places to visit there is the Upper Antelope Canyon and the Lower Antelope Canyon. Uh, and so both of those sit on a Navajo Nation land. 
And so because of that, you were not able to visit. They weren't doing tours or anything like that. But fortunately, I ran across this thing where you could rent a kayak at Lake Powell and you can kayak into the canyon from basically the bottom of the canyon, I suppose. You can park it on a beach there and then you can hike in to the canyon. Now, the, this part of the canyon is not as spectacular um, as what I've seen from the upper and lower canyons, but there were still very unique Antelope Canyon um, you know, scenes there where, you know, you're in Antelope Canyon and it's really, very impressive, really cool. Um, and so I was like, this is my one opportunity to see Antelope Canyon. And so I went ahead and did it. It was a pretty cool experience. Um, it was about a three and a half mile kayaking trip, um, each way. So about seven miles total. Uh, and then I probably hiked maybe two, uh, to two and a half miles both ways, um, once I was inside the canyon. Um, so the kayaking was supposed to take, um, I think it was going to take me about an hour and a half, hour and 45 minutes is what the guy at the, the store told me. It ended up taking me an hour um, to get there. I think they just give you like your, the tote, like the max of this is how long it's going to take. So if you're just paddling like once every five minutes, you won't be like, hey, it took me like five hours to get there. Um, but I was like paddling nonstop just because I had the kayak for like seven hours. And so I'm like, I have to get there. I have to get there. Um, so I got there in an hour. Um, it was pretty difficult. Um, not going to lie. By the time I got back um, at the end of the day, I went back to my hotel and laid down for like 20 minutes. And by the time I got up, my back and shoulders were just like already stiff. And I was just like, wow, this is going to hurt tomorrow. Um, so anyways, I kayaked all the way to Antelope Canyon. It's very easy to find. You literally leave the marina um, and it's like the first the first time you can even turn left, you turn left, there's a buoy there that says Antelope Canyon. Um, and then you just follow through the canyon until you run out of water and you hit a beach. And then you beach your um, kayak there and then you just start hiking. Um, so it was really cool. Like I said, definitely not as crazy or as insane as it seems upper or lower um, has to offer. But it definitely has those Antelope Canyon vibes and there were some definitely, you know, Antelope Canyon pieces there um, that were really cool to check out. Um, after about um, two miles or two and a half miles, you actually get to this waterfall face um, that at the time I was there was dry. Um, but it's about probably 12, um, 12 feet off the ground, just completely smooth, flat. Um, so there's no way you can really just climb that uh, without any gear. And so that was, you know, that's the point where you kind of just turn around and head back to the kayak. Uh, and by then, you know, you're running low on time anyways, and you need to get back to the marina. Um, so it was definitely a really cool hike. And actually, if you look on like Google Maps, wherever it says Lower Antelope Canyon, that's literally where you have to stop, where the waterfall is. And you can actually see it. Um, I looked on Google Maps and you could see where that waterfall was, which was really interesting that you could see that deep into a canyon. Um, but yeah, that was pretty cool. Um, now, whenever I was renting the kayak, the lady at the kayak store was just like, now there's going to be like really, you know, heavy winds, uh, at noon. So make sure like you're aware of that. So I gave myself double time to get back. So I was like, okay, I got to the Canyon in an hour. So I'm gonna give myself two hours. Um, and it, it ended up only taking me an hour, maybe like an hour or five to get back to the Marina. But man, those winds were no joke. And 
you know, going, it was early, and so there were no boats on the water. It was all calm and glassy. But coming back, I mean, boats were going up and down. Um, the winds were just making the water super choppy. Uh, water was just, like, crashing over the kayak all onto you. And literally, if you stopped paddling for, like, two seconds, you started, like, blowing backwards. So I literally paddled nonstop for over an hour, um, and I was feeling it, let me tell you. But... Um, it was definitely an experience and you know, I've heard things about like, oh, is it worth it to kayak in and things like that? Um, and you know, I, I don't think the canyon was necessarily as beautiful at the lower end there. Um, but for the experience, I totally think it was worth it. I mean, I didn't have to be in a tour group. Um, I was just by myself exploring the canyon, you know, all on my own. Uh, and honestly, at this point in time, that's the only way that you can see Antelope Canyon, period. Um, so definitely it's worth it if it's something that you want to do. Um, you know, when everything clears back up, maybe it wouldn't be worth it to you. But I thought it was really cool. Um, I got to kayak in Lake Powell. I can say I kayaked all the way to Antelope Canyon. Um, and so it was really fun and it was a great use of a morning uh, and early afternoon. So I definitely enjoyed that. Um, so after this, I went back to the hotel. Um, I think I showered, took a little nap, and then I headed out to Horseshoe Bend for sunset. Um, and this was something that I was totally not expecting to just blow me away like it did. You know, a lot of times you see pictures and people tell you, like, don't look at pictures before you travel because you can just get, you know, this huge hyped up image in your mind and then just be totally disappointed. Um, but this was the exact opposite for Horseshoe Bend. Like, I've seen a lot of pictures of this place and I showed up there and I was just completely overwhelmed. I mean, this thing was ginormous. Um, I, I had my wide lens on my phone camera and I could still barely get the entire thing in the frame. Like it was crazy. Um, so definitely a cool experience to check out Horseshoe Bend. It is not a part of the national park system. I think it's run by like the county or the city or something. Um, so it was an extra $10 fee. Uh, but totally worth it. It was really cool. You can kind of, there's a viewing platform, but you can also hike around um, to get different viewpoints. Uh, and so I just went and I just hung out there for about an hour, watched the sunset. One of the best sunsets of the entire trip. It was absolutely gorgeous. Um, and it was just really cool. It was, um, there were people kayaking down below in the bend. Um, there were people camped up there on the actual horseshoe part, which was really interesting. I didn't know you could do that. Um, and then, of course, there were just boats whipping around the edges there. Uh, so it was really cool just to hang out there and sort of just watch what was happening down there in the canyon. Um, so I really enjoyed that. Uh, so after sunset, I went back to the hotel and I spent the night there in Page again. Uh, once again, you know, I had these high expect, like high, not expectations, but big plans for like all my sunrise and sunset viewings. Uh, and so I'd actually planned on getting up at like four in the morning and driving to uh, Moab, Utah the next day and like trying to catch Monument Valley at sunrise. But it was <laughs> by the time I went to bed, I was just like, that's so stupid. Like, <laughs> I'm not doing that. So I got up at like 730, o'clock, headed out to Moab. Moab is an awesome place. Let me tell you, I'll talk about it more in a minute, but I headed out to Moab. And there's a couple different ways that you can get to Moab from Page, Arizona. Um, but I went ahead and took a scenic route. And I took the scenic route just so I could head through Monument Valley. And so you take the, I don't know if it's an interstate highway um, or what it's called, but it's 163. 
Um, and so you can see that on your maps. It's 163, and it takes you through Monument Valley. It only adds like maybe 10 minutes to your travel time, and it is totally worth it. I mean, you're going through all these crazy rock formations. Um, it's absolutely stunning. And because, once again, Monument Valley is on an Indian reservation, you can actually do the drive through like the mittens and the actual monuments. Um, but there's still amazing views from that highway there. You can actually see the mittens uh, if you know where to look and you're, you're kind of looking to them to the right as you're headed to Moab. Um, you, can, you can definitely pick them out for a solid three or four minutes of the drive there. Um, pull over, take a few pictures. There's scenic pullouts like literally every mile along the way. So I was pulling over left and right. Um, and actually in Forrest Gump the movie... Uh, whenever he's doing his run and he finally stops running, he's on 163 when he stops running. Um, and so that's a pretty famous pullout, and you know it's there because there's just like 10 cars lined up there taking the same exact picture. Um, so it's pretty cool. And like I said, I mean, just because you can't actually drive through Monument Valley right now, there's still amazing views everywhere. It adds like 5-10 minutes to your drive time. Totally worth it. So definitely check out Monument Valley if you're going that direction. Now, I will say, I'm not really sure why I went this direction. A lot of people go um, a clockwise route when they're doing the Mighty Five. I did counterclockwise. Really not sure why I decided to do that. It ended up working out really well for me, um, and I'll explain that towards the end. Um, but, I mean, either way, the views are amazing, and I was always looking over my shoulder while I was driving um, and pulling over to get the views behind me, too. So, definitely, you know, it doesn't really matter which direction you're going. The views are still going to be great. So Moab is awesome. Um, there's two national parks there right outside of Moab, Canyonlands National Park and Arches National Park. Um, Arches, I think, is pretty iconic, um, comparable to Zion. That was the other um, national park that I really wanted to go to. Um, and so as soon as I got to Moab, I got there maybe around 1 in the afternoon. I went ahead and drove straight to Arches National Park. And it's really cool because you're just sort of in this canyon and you drive up, you know, out of the canyon and then just bam, there's arches everywhere. It's pretty cool. Um, and I did, I went to a few different arches. Uh, when you first go into the park, there are the windows arches and turret arch. And so those are just right there outside of a parking lot. I mean, you can literally just drive through the parking lot and see them. Or it's like a quarter of a mile hike up to the actual arches. Um, and then also in that same little area, there's the double arch, um, which was actually featured in one of the Indiana Jones movies, um, which is pretty cool. And then there's Elephant Butte, which was honestly the coolest thing I thought in that entire park, because <laughs> that entire parking lot area, because it literally looked just like an elephant. Like I saw that and I was like, that was like an elephant. And then I looked it up later and it's called Elephant Butte. And I was like, well, that makes sense. So I did get out. I did those short little hikes. They took like maybe 20 minutes. Um, and then I headed out uh, to the next little site. Um, a couple other places there. One is Landscape Arch. And this one was pretty impressive. It's actually over 100 yards wide. And so you can actually fit a football field underneath this arch. That's how big it is. It's pretty impressive. All of the arches in Arches National Park, you can like walk underneath them and kind of just look all around them and touch them and feel them and everything. A landscape arch, you cannot do that um, because back in the early 90s, uh, part of it actually like broke away. 
while people were like underneath it eating lunch. And so after that, they were like, okay, you can no longer sit under Landscape Arch. So I don't think anyone was hurt during that, but I'm sure they were definitely scarred for life that they almost got crushed by a falling arch. So there's like this one little tiny skinny little section over to the right where the big old boulder had fallen from underneath the arch. And so it's pretty crazy to just think that, you know, that's how these things were formed was it was like a solid sort of thin wall there of sandstone or whatever. And just slowly after, you know, hundreds and thousands of years, they've sort of just collapsed the middle portions. And so, you know, hundreds, thousands of years later, you know, it's just going to continue to do the same thing until finally just the top part also collapses and they're gone again. Um, so it's pretty crazy that, you know, the thing that I, I'm pretty sure it said this on one of the little placards there, so don't quote me on this one, but um, basically what formed these arches, just like the erosion and the things like collapsing the inner parts of the arch are the same thing that's going to basically be the demise of these arches um, at the end. So that was pretty interesting. Um, so the most famous arch, possibly the most famous natural arch, oh, I will say this one other thing, sorry. A landscape arch is questionably the largest arch natural arch in the world uh for some reason it wasn't definitive i don't know if they just can't say it's definitive because there might be some hidden arch somewhere else in the world they don't know about or maybe you know they have differing measurements with another arch um, but that's also one of its claims to fame so anyways delicate arch is one of arguably the most famous natural arches in the world i mean it's very recognizable it's on the utah state license plate um, you've definitely seen it somewhere or other. Uh, and so this was, you know, this is like the hike to do in Arches National Park. And it's actually a pretty strenuous hike. I mean, it's sort of like, it's not as difficult as Angel's Landing, but it's like the most, one of the most difficult hikes in the park is like the most popular. So, you know, there was like a dude being pushed in a wheelchair for this Arches hike. And I was like, this old guy is pushing this dude up in a wheelchair and I'm over here dying. I'm like, this guy deserves a medal. I mean, I was way impressed. Um, so the the craziest part about the arches, the delicate arch hike, is about the last, I would say, half mile is straight up the Slick Rock face. Um, and Slick Rock is basically, it looks just like this huge, gigantic boulder that's just sitting there, and you have to just climb it. Uh, and it's basically like half a mile, quarter of a mile long. They just hike. And the thing about this which will come into play here in a few minutes. There's like no trail when you're on the Slick Rock. I mean, there's nothing, no worn down path or anything. Literally, there's like an entrance to the Slick Rock where like the trail stops and there's the Slick Rock starting. And then there's the end of the Slick Rock where the trail starts again. So it's like you have the beginning and then you have the end and it doesn't matter how you get there. You just have to get from point A to point B. So you're, you're kind of just finding the easiest route along the way to get there. Um, so make my way up there. I sit and the delicate arch is sort of like in a bowl shape looking thing. And so a lot of people who are just sitting up there watching sunset, they'll sit on the rim of the bowl and they will watch the sunset. So that's what I did. It was a great view. Um, an, an amazing sunset. Um, so a little funny story while I was up there, obviously everyone wants to get a picture underneath the arch. I can only imagine how crazy it is like during peak season. There's, I've seen pictures of lines like a mile looking long to take a picture underneath the arch. 
Um, and you know, everyone is super friendly up there. I mean, they're like, Hey, you want to take a picture? Sure. I'll take a picture of you. You take a picture of me, whatever. Um, and so, you know, this was going on all the way up until sunset. Now there are some professional photographers up there. I'm talking like thousand dollar cameras. Like they are ready to go. And this is a gorgeous sunset about to take place. So golden hour hits. And I mean, golden hour is like a 10 minute window where, the sun is nice and golden. It is turning these sandstone rocks just a perfect orangey red color. It's absolutely gorgeous. And as soon as it starts, this group of people goes down to the arch and starts taking pictures. And I mean, everyone's just like, okay, take your picture, get out of the way. Cool. No big deal. These people set up a photo shoot down there. I mean, they're taking like 10 pictures. They're looking at them. They're taking 10 more. They're looking at them. They're taking 10 more. And finally, everyone was like getting fed up with these people. And they're just like, get out of the way. So finally, they, I guess they have taken enough pictures. And so they kind of move off to the side and we're like, oh, sweet. Okay, it's clear. We can take some awesome pictures without anybody in them. And the next thing I know is they're walking back over to the arch. And I'm like, are they going to take more pictures? Like, what is going on here? They, they're literally just standing there in front of the arch having a full-blown conversation with this other person they just met like getting to know you like wow we have so much in common like let's you know have some coffee or something and <laughs> one of these people to my right one of the photographers over there literally stands up and just like starts yelling at them to get out of the way and these people are oblivious to what's going on they're just like continuing their conversation and so eventually there's like three or four people just like heckling them, like yelling at them to get out of this shot because they have like three minutes of golden hour left. And so finally someone runs down there and is like, hey, y'all need to get out of the way because these people are mad. And so they get out of the way and they're like, oh, we're sorry. We didn't know. And we're just like, you didn't notice that like a hundred people up here are just staring at you because you're in front of the only arch. Like, come on. So anyways, moral of the story is people up there are very nice until you you know, lollygag and don't know, you know, you're not aware of your surroundings. So pay attention if you don't want to get yelled at um, in front of 100 people there. So that's pretty hilarious. Um, Arches National Park is one of the most desolate areas like in the United States. Like if you look up a uh, light pollution map, Moab, Utah is like one of the darkest places that you can find on there. So I wanted to stay up there at Delicate Arch until after dark to see, you know, if I could see any stars um, and just, you know, just get a full-blown, like, Milky Way experience there. Um, but it, it was pretty cloudy, and so after, you know, it, it had gotten dark, and so I was like, you know, I could see, like, the Big Dipper or something and a couple other stars, and I was like, okay, that's about as good as it can get. And then that other person from Zion told me that it was like three in the morning before they saw the Milky Way. And I was like, I'm not sitting up here for another eight hours just to see the Milky Way. Like, I'm out of here. So there was one other couple up there with me. And I was like, okay, I'm peacing out. I'm, I'm out of here. So I start to get my kit ready to head out. And I turn on my headlamp. And like, I can't see my hand in front of my face. And I'm like, are you serious? So my headlamp's dead. I'm like, well, that's great. So I had another flashlight, pulled it out. It, it wasn't the brightest, like it definitely needs some new batteries, but it was working. So I head out and everything's going great. Following the trail, I know where I'm at, I know where I'm going, and I reach the Slick Rock face. And once again, there is no trail on the Slick Rock. You literally just have to get from one point to the other. So I work my way down. I figure I'm going in a pretty straight line. I think I know where I'm going. 
I get to where I think I should go, and it's literally straight down, cliff face. And I'm like, hmm, that's that's not how I came up. <laughs> so I'm like just walking around, and I'm trying to find the exit to the slick rock, and I just keep running into just drop off after drop off. And so finally, it's been like probably, it's, it feels like it's been about 15 minutes, and I'm just like, I've, I've reached the conclusion that there's about a 50% chance I'm going to be camping up there on that slick rock face that night because I cannot find the exit to this thing. And so I'm still walking around and I'm shining my flashlight kind of just back behind me, kind of to the sides. And all of a sudden I swipe it over to the right and I see this pair of glowing eyeballs just staring right at me. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, <laughs> like what is this? And like my it's too far away and my flashlight's too dim to actually tell what it is, but I can definitely see the reflection of the eyes and I can kind of get a solid idea of how big this thing is. And so I'm like, okay, that's like maybe knee to shin level. So we're talking like maybe it could be a raccoon. Maybe it could be a coyote. Maybe it could be like a tiny mountain lion. I don't know, but whatever it is, I don't want to hang out to figure it out. So that kind of spurred me on to be like, okay, I have to get out of here. It was it was freezing, and I had like my toboggan, I had gloves on, and as soon as I saw it, I started sweating. I was like ripping off coats and jackets. I was just like I'm freaking. Out. I was like, okay, I've got to get out of here. So finally, I kind of like halfway back up the slick rock, find finally find my way out to the exit, um, and then I'm just like you know walking in pitch black dark through <laughs> the desert. Um, to my car and I was like this was this was pretty stupid like I feel like this is this should be a group activity to stay up there all night um, but I got back to my car safe and sound made it headed back to my uh, hotel there in Moab so that was, that was definitely a pretty interesting experience now the next day uh, once again I got up you know fairly early like eight o'clock something like that and Canyonlands is another national park there um, in Moab and so before I went to Canyonlands, though, I had seen some photos of a trail that leads to another arch called Corona Arch. Um, and it's pretty, it's pretty interesting because the trail crosses a railroad and the railroad like cuts through the canyon. And so there's just like maybe a 20 foot span that's just been plowed straight through straight rock. And it's pretty impressive. And so I was like, I have to find this place and check it out because that looks amazing. And so right outside of Moab, on your way to Arches, on your way to Canyonlands, um, there's the State Highway 279. And this place was like the hidden gem out of hidden gems. I mean, this place was incredible. Um, and like I just started driving down this road and it was there were just like signs everywhere for awesome things to check out. Um, I'm driving down there and there's signs for petroglyphs and so I pull over and there's just like carvings in the rock there that are awesome. Um, I keep driving and there's a sign for dinosaur footprints and I'm like, what? Dinosaur footprints? <laughs> so I pull over and there's like a quarter mile hike to where there's this like huge slab of rock with just dinosaur footprints just embedded into this piece of rock. And I'm like, this is insane. Like I had no clue any of this stuff was here. And I just wanted to check out this railroad track and I'm just finding all this awesome stuff. This road in and of itself is amazing just because you're fall, you're, it, the road literally follows the Colorado River. And so you're just driving through the center of this canyon along the Colorado River. The views are amazing. 
it takes you to this mine um, and you can drive past the mine. It kind of takes you into Dead Horse Point State Park, uh, which if you have time, definitely check out that state park as well. I did not, um, but it looks amazing. Um, so check out Dead Horse uh, State Park. Um, but you can actually drive through um, that way. Um, it turns into dirt road and then it turns into like a four by four track, which I decided my rental car um, should not go down. And so I went ahead and, you know, made a quick U-turn and headed back out. Um, but yeah, it's an awesome drive. Uh, there's also, obviously you're in the middle of a canyon, so there's steep rock faces and literally every single turnout, there was just a car parked there with like, um, camper chairs set up and people rock climbing the face there. I mean, you could have pulled over and just walked, watched rock climbers all day. I mean, it was pretty epic. Um, and that was a pretty awesome site. Uh, I did find the railroad tracks pretty easy to find. Um, uh, and that was awesome to see as well. I mean, it was really cool how it was just carved straight through on um, the canyon there. So definitely check out the State Highway 279 there. It was really cool detour. Uh, I did not expect any of that stuff to be there and it turned into a really cool like two or three hour just endeavor there just exploring um, that side road. So after that, I went ahead and I drove out to Canyonlands. Um, and let me tell you, Canyonlands is like in the middle of absolutely nowhere. Um, I was driving and I had probably been driving like 20 minutes towards Canyonlands off the main road there from Moab. And I realized like I have maybe a quarter of a tank of gas and I'm like, I don't think this is going to be enough. So I had to make a U-turn, drive 20 minutes back, get some more gas, fill up and then head back into the park. And it's a good thing I did because that place was like 60 miles off the main road. I mean, it was insane how far back this um, national park was. Um, it's also so that Dead Horse State Park that I was just talking about is right before Canyonlands. You can keep driving into Canyonlands. It's all free range land, so we would be going around these tight corners, like climbing a mountain there would just be cows in the middle of the road. Um, so definitely have to be careful there. Um, Canyonlands was pretty cool. There's a couple uh, main uh, hikes uh, that you can do there. Um, obviously, the canyons in a, of themselves are pretty awesome, and just driving, you can get some awesome viewpoints. Um, but... Uh, the Mesa Arch is really cool. It's one of the top photograph places around there. Um, and it's really cool during sunrise because when the sun is coming up, it just makes the inside of the arch glow. Uh, and then you can see all the mesas and stuff behind it. So it's a really cool shot. Uh, I did not get up early enough for that sunrise either. Uh, and so I cannot, um, you know, tell you how crazy of a circus that must be, but I've heard that it is pretty wild. Um, so that hike is, it's only about maybe like half a mile, three quarters of a mile round trip. It's not long at all. Um, definitely one of the better views in the park. It's really cool. Um, definitely recommend checking that out. Um, and then the other hike that I did, um, uh, was at the very top of the park when you're driving. Uh, it's called like the Grand Lookout or Grand View, uh, hike. And I, I believe it was a mile each way or something like that. So maybe like two miles, two and a half miles round trip. Uh, and it's really cool because it kind of just takes you out to a point and then you can basically just see almost 360, maybe like 270 degrees or something like that um, of the canyon. So it was a really great view um, there. Um, so it was getting rather cold. It was like in the 30s. It was starting to snow. And so I was like, you know, I really don't feel like hanging out here for like six, three, four more hours to watch the sunset. I was pretty ready to go. So I was like, I'm, it's starting to snow. I'm just going to go ahead and drive to my next park. Um, and, you know, before the snow hits, 
and then I can just watch the sunset on the way. So I'm glad I did that because about an hour into my drive, I hit heavy snow. Um, and for some reason, um, my GPS took me through like all these back roads and it took me through a state park. And this state park was like in the middle of these mountains. And so I'm just driving through st a snowstorm on unplowed roads through the mountains. It's like going 20 miles an hour to make sure I don't like slide or, you know, skid out anywhere. And it was pretty terrifying. I mean, this like two hour drive turned into like four because I was going so slow. Um, it, it was pretty crazy. Uh, I eventually made it to the town that I was going to, um, but it was a pretty terrifying drive, not going to lie. Um, but yeah, I would recommend never driving through a state park on your way um, someplace in the middle of a snowstorm. Uh, and the thing is there in Utah, I mean, they were great about plowing the roads, but they don't plow um, after night. And so since it was like five, six o'clock, whenever I was driving through this park, I guess the snow plows were done for the day. And so there was nobody plowing these roads. It was super slick, super icy. And I was just trying to, you know, follow the routes as much as I could. There were some points, the only way I knew where to go was because there were already tire tracks in the snow. And so I'm like, I hope this guy didn't drive off a cliff because I'm literally just following these tire tracks. Um, but I eventually made it. Uh, the thing about driving, um, I was driving west at this point through Utah. There were so many awesome little towns. I mean, probably they were, I kept seeing signs like founded in the 1860s and there'd be like population of like a thousand. Um, and they were just like these quaint little quirky towns that I would have loved to just spend a day in each of them just to explore, um, take pictures, things like that. I mean, they were awesome little towns. Um, and so the place I was staying was one of those as well. They had, they had a sign up that said world famous pie. And so I asked the lady, I was like, what's your most world famous pie? And she said, pickle pie. And I was like, what did you just say? And she was like, pickle pie. And I was like, one more time. I, I, I don't think I heard you. Did you say pickle pie? And she's like, yeah, it's made out of sweet pickles. And so I was like, well, I mean, I have to try it. Pickle pie. It's the most world famous pie at a world famous pie stand. Um, so I tried it. It was rather interesting. It tasted like pumpkin pie with sweet pickles in it. Um, surprisingly not terrible. Um, also not necessarily world famous worthy in my mind, but you know, you got you got to do what you got to do. So pretty interesting there. So I went to bed there that night. I was right outside of Capitol Reef um, National Park, the fourth of the Mighty Five I was going to see, um, and it was completely snowing all night. Woke up and there was about five inches of snow on my car, uh, and I'm like, well, this is going to be interesting. Um, but luckily, Utah has their craft together, and by 7:30, the roads were were completely snow plowed. Um, and it was like, you know, a hundred degree summer day, um, on the roads. It was pretty phenomenal. So, um, I went ahead and I was like, well, I'll check out Capitol Reef. There were a couple crazy looking accidents there along the way, like huge trucks. And I'm like, I'm in this little tiny car and there's no other cars like anywhere. And these trucks are getting into accidents. So I was like, what am I going to do? Um, so once again, drove super slow. Roads weren't too terrible. Um, made it to Capitol Reef. Unfortunately, so Capitol Reef is like supposed to be one of the most um, underappreciated national parks in the United States. Um, a lot of people, I guess, skip out on this national park, but it's apparently super amazing. Unfortunately, it was literally still snowing 
um, and a lot of the roads and trails were closed. So I literally had to park in the visitor center and I walked up the road there to um, through the orchards and to like the main barn and things like that. Um, and this place was beautiful. I mean, I could barely see the mountains because the visibility was so bad. Um, but what I could see was awesome. And I really, that was like the one disappointment of this whole trip was that I didn't get to spend more time or see more of Capitol Reef because I've heard it is just an amazing park that not a lot of people um, go and see. So I was really disappointed about that. Um, but I did do, you know, a couple miles of walking just to explore what I could. Uh, and then, you know, it was still snowing. And so I was like, I've got to get out of here because I don't want to be stuck um, here in Capitol Reef. So I went ahead. Uh, it was around maybe like 3, no, maybe about 1 in the afternoon. I decided to go ahead and drive to Bryce Canyon, the last of my five. Um, Mighty Five National Parks there. So I made it um, to Bryce Canyon. Once again, the snow was crazy. There were It was weird because there'd be pockets where it was sort of like sunny and clear. And then like you could literally see the snow just like coming at you. Um, and so there were times where, I mean, the visibility might have been like 25 yards. Um, luckily, the, the roads were still plowed. I mean, these guys were just like doing their route. They were going up, turn around, coming back. And then just all day, they're just going up and down these roads, snow plowing. Um, so the roads were clear, which was awesome, but the visibility was terrible. Um, so that was pretty scary, but I made it to Bryce Canyon around three in the afternoon, checked into my hotel, um, kind of just chilled out because it was still snowing. Um, and so then eventually around like five 30, something like that, the sun started to come out and I'm like, I'm going to go ahead and check out Bryce Canyon because uh, it's supposed to snow again tomorrow and I don't want to get like you know, not be able to go to the park and I'm so close. I want to finish out these mighty five. So I'm going to go ahead and at least get there, um, to see it. So I went ahead to Bryce Canyon. Let me, oh man, Bryce Canyon is gorgeous. And I know the snow, you know, added so much to it, but the reddish orange, it's like a light red orange rock with the bright blue skies, the white puffy clouds, the white snow. It was absolutely gorgeous. Um, I went up there for sunset basically because it was so late. Um, I went to Sunrise Point, which was great. I drove over to Sunset Point, um, and I started to hike towards Sunset Point, but I knew I wouldn't get there um, by sunset, so I just kind of stopped and found a good spot to watch the sunset, um, and then turned around after the sun went down. Um, so, man, Bryce Canyon is gorgeous, um, and so. After that, I went ahead. I headed, actually headed into town. Um, it was a cool little quaint town, so I wanted to look around there at night. They had some like cool like theaters and stuff like that um, that I wanted to see all lit up. Uh, and so I went back uh, to my hotel, spent the night. I woke up at like eight o'clock the next morning, and I look at my phone, and the temperature says it's three degrees outside. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not going hiking in three degree weather. Like, I'm sorry. So I literally laid in bed until about 10.30. My heater wasn't working in my room. So literally, as soon as I would like take my hands out of the covers, they would like start going numb because it was so cold. So finally around 10.30, um, the weather was up to like 20 degrees. And so I'm like, I have to check out in 30 minutes anyway, so I might as well go. I head out to Bryce Canyon, and part of its roads are closed too, but I'm able to drive all the way up to Sunset Point. Um, which is where you can start the Peekaboo Loop. And this is one of the best hikes in the park. Um, and it's actually connected to another loop. So you have, from Sunset Point, you can start the Navajo Loop, which is one of the most popular hikes in the park. 
and then connected to the Navajo Loop is Peekaboo Loop. And this whole thing is about five miles, I think 5.2 miles total. Um, and it was amazing. Now, it was rather difficult in the snow just because there's so many declines and inclines. Um, and so, you know, it is a little slippery. Um, a lot of people had like crampons that they attached to their boots. And I was like, that would have been smart. Um, but I <laughs> did not have the uh, forethought to do that. Um, so anyways, it was a great hike. It did take me quite a while to do. I think it took me just under three hours to do the five miles. Um, just because the snow made it so difficult. Um, either you were walking in heavily packed snow and you were slipping everywhere. Or you had to like make new tracks in the deeper snow. Um, and there was a solid, you know, six inches of snow. Um, which, which kind of leads me <laughs> to something. It was, it was kind of annoying actually. And I was thinking of this whenever I was doing the hike. You know, you have this little tiny trail that's like maybe a foot wide where everyone's walked and you're coming up on a group of people facing you and you're like, okay, I'm going to be nice and I'm going to get off the path here. And so you're just standing there with snow coming up over your boots and then they walk in the deep snow on the other side. And you're like, I literally got off the path so you wouldn't have to. I have snow in my boots, in my socks already. Like, why? Like, just take the trail. Uh, so that was always a little infuriating. I finally got to the point where, you know, everyone else was just getting out of the way. So I was just like, you know what? I'm just going to walk on the path. Like if you're not going to walk on the path, then I might as well, you know, enjoy the dry socks. Um, so yeah, that was kind of interesting. I don't know. Weird. Anyway, so Bryce Canyon was absolutely phenomenal. I loved it. Um, did that hike. I finished around three in the afternoon. Um, and, and I was done. I mean, I had done so much hiking. I was like, okay, I'm ready to head back to Vegas, catch my flight. Um, so I packed up and I drove to Vegas, checked into my, um, hotel room there. Um, I went out like once to, I checked out the Bellagio fountain show, which was pretty epic. Not going to lie. Um, but all of Vegas was absolutely wild. I mean, there were people everywhere and I was like, yeah, this is not my scene. I'm going back to my hotel room. So um, maybe it was just because I'd been in nature like all by myself for a whole week, but it was just like overwhelming. So I watched the Bellagio fountain show. I got like a, a Greek pita sandwich and I just chilled out in my hotel room the rest of the night, caught my flight the next morning uh, and headed back to Texas. Um, but yeah, that was my trip there in Utah. Um, it was pretty amazing. You know, like I said at the beginning, I definitely would recommend spending more time than a week there. But, you know, I did it in a week and I actually I added Page Arizona to it. So it's definitely doable. Um, I would say if you had like 10 days or two weeks, that would be perfect. Um, you could add the Grand Canyon to it um, and also Mesa Verde, uh, which is in Colorado. Um, that actually forms what's called, I think it's called the Golden Circle or the Golden Loop or the Grand Circle, something like that. Um, I did the Mighty Five Loop, but if you add those two things to it, it, it um, becomes a different loop um, that a lot of people travel as well. Um, so if you have a couple extra days, obviously the Grand Canyon would be awesome. And then Mesa Verde um, has all of the uh, Indian cliff dwellings, which are pretty epic. Um, so real quick, I'm just going to sort of list my top five for the national parks because why not? I did all five, so I'm going to list my ranking of them. Uh, and they, they do pretty much line up with all the rankings that I did see online already um, with, with a couple of exceptions here. Um, I'm going to go ahead and say that Canyonlands is, was my least favorite of the five parks. I'm going to rank it at number five 
simply because really the only thing that was worth seeing there, I mean, the canyons were cool. Um, the, the Mesa Arch was cool. Uh, there wasn't like a ton of hiking. Um, it was just out there in the middle of nowhere. Everyone I talked to, um, everything I read said, you know, if you're going to have to spend less time at a place or skip a place, skip Canyonlands. Um, but I mean, it's right there next to Arches. So if you're there, you might as well check it out. I mean, it's still pretty impressive. Um, just, you know, down there at the bottom of my list, it's gotta be. Now, number four is kind of hard, um, simply because, uh, I'm going to have to put, um, Capitol Reef there simply because I did not get to experience all that it had to offer. Um, I think it could definitely be top three, maybe even top two, if I was able to really appreciate, um, everything it had to offer. Um, a bit, but because of the limited access that I had to it, I'm going to have to rank it down there at number four. It was a great, um, park and I loved my time there and the views and everything. Um, I just can't rank it any higher because of what I wasn't able to do or see there. Um, number three, I'm going to put Arches National Park um, at number three. And there's a couple different things that I forgot to even mention about Arches. One thing is Arches, one of the pros, one is obviously beautiful. Delicate Arch is great. Um, but there is so much parking at Arches National Park. I mean, it was amazing. I'm used to like two summers ago, I was at Yosemite and I literally drove around for like two hours and couldn't find a parking spot. Uh, even at Zion, I drove around for like 30 minutes before I could find a spot. But I mean, Arches, you pull up to like Delicate Arch and there's like a parking lot with a hundred spaces in it. And I'm just like, this is like National Park heaven. I mean, there are parking spaces everywhere. I did not have to wait a single time. There were like parking spots around me at these places. It was incredible. So that's definitely one thing um, that Arches has going for it um, is simply the parking situation. I mean, it's amazing. Um, the, the one drawback to Arches National Park is a lot of the arches are just like literally right off the parking lots. Um, so there's, I mean, Delicate Arch hike was awesome. I love that. that was one of my favorite hikes I did. Um, there's just, there's not too many great hikes to do there. Uh, and honestly, besides Delicate Arch, when I was looking at the arches, I was like, oh, there's an arch. Oh, there's another arch. And, you know, they kind of just started to all just be like, oh, there's an arch. Oh, cool. There's another one. Delicate Arch was just so famous um, and recognizable that I think it just made that experience even better. Um, but all in all, I felt like, oh, there's an arch. You've seen them all, you know. So I'm going to put arches at number three. It did have its perks. I did enjoy being there. Um, and it, I definitely recommend checking it out, especially Delicate Arch Hike. That one, that one was really cool. But I'm going to have to stick there at number three. Number two and number one could definitely, you know, have an argue, you could argue either way for them. I'm going to go ahead and throw Zion at number two, and I'm going to do that for a couple different reasons. One, parking was a nightmare. I understand they're going to have those shuttles um, for the rest of the year or up until November now, um, but even then it seems like getting a shuttle ticket might be a nightmare in and of itself. The hikes at Zion were incredible. The views were incredible as well. Um, you know, I loved my time there. Um, but you know, just because of the parking situation and just because of how crowded it is, uh, I'm going to have to throw it down at number two, uh, which leaves Bryce Canyon at number one. And the reason I say they're kind of arguable is because I know Bryce Canyon is number one because of the snow and just how amazing it looked. Um, I'm sure it looked incredible, you know, without the snow as well, but just that added, you know, layer of snow just made everything pop. It looked amazing. Um, the hikes were awesome, um, because I mean, the weather was like 
I did the peekaboo loop in like 20 degree weather. I mean, my hands were numb um, during that hike. I actually, I lost a glove. And so I was walking around with one glove on and one glove off. <laughs> and so I was like, these people probably think I'm crazy. So whenever I'd walk by someone, I had to just like stick my non-gloved hand in my pocket so people wouldn't notice. I just had one glove on. Um, but yeah, I mean, Bryce Canyon was absolutely beautiful. The hikes were amazing. There was like very few people there. The parking was great. I mean, I got to Peekaboo Loop at like 11 and I was able to find a spot right away. You know, all those things just make your experience even more enjoyable. Um, and so I'm going to have to, I'm going to throw Bryce Canyon up there at number one as my favorite park, um, of the mighty five there. Um, so yeah, with that being said, that was my Utah trip. Um, I hope you kept up with it on Instagram. That's, I guess that's my first real trip since I've started the podcast. So hopefully some of you were able to follow along um, while I was on it. Uh, remember, if you're not following me on Instagram, go ahead and check it out at Educate Your Travel. Um, leave me a comment there. Leave me a comment here. I'd love to hear from you. Um, and remember, it's up to you to make your life interesting. So get up, get out, explore the world, and take that next adventure. Thank you so much for joining me here again today, and I cannot wait to catch up with you next time.